Welcome to Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. In today's episode, we're going to be covering the 1977 World Series Game 1 between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium on a Tuesday night in October on ABC with Keith Jackson, Howard Cosell, and Tom Seaver on the call. In previous episodes, we covered the 77 NLCS between the Phillies and the Dodgers, with the Dodgers uh, coming through in four games, a dramatic, crazy, wild Game 3 comeback victory, and then Tommy John going the distance to send the Dodgers back to the World Series. And, of course, the Yankees coming back down two games to one, winning on the road two games in a row, games four and five in Kansas City. Sparky Lyle, Herculean Yeoman's work in Game 4, also picked up the win in Game 5 when the Yankees scored three runs in the top of the ninth, right, overcoming a deficit to sort of shock the Kansas City on the road. And then that leads us to Yankees versus Dodgers in the World Series. A very familiar feeling, though, of course, it's a new cast of characters this time around. This is the ninth time that the Yankees and Dodgers are meeting up in the World Series. And by the way, they're going to be meeting up again in 78 and 81, mind you. But the previous eight times, the Yankees have sort of had the number, winning six of eight. But since the Dodgers have moved to Los Angeles, they've won the only one there in 1963. Uh, But still, most of... The history is in the Yankees' favor. But these are two of the most storied franchises in baseball history. Used to be crosstown rivals. And now they're East Coast and West Coast rivals. The Big Apple versus Hollywoods. City that never sleeps in the City of Angels. A what it all makes for what should be a classic classic matchup and boy is this series going to deliver in that regard lots of star power lots of things to get into lots of really interesting stories around these teams and i'm not going to be able to get into all of them and ultimately that's because we've got some really really good baseball to cover more on all of that after a word from our sponsor. We've all been there. You know, when you go to the barber shop and your eyes wander around a bit as you sit in the barber's chair, looking at the mirror, trying hard not to be seen looking at yourself, and your sight settles in on that long tube of blue liquid with all the combs in it. Then the barber dips into the jar and he pulls out a comb and he shakes the blue liquid off and he runs it through your hair. Ever wonder what's in that blue liquid? Wonder what it tastes like? Well, that same liquid goes into every bottle of Icy Blue Aqua Velva, the aftershave by Williams. That tingle you feel after you shave and slap on some Aqua Velva, well, that's the very same liquid your barber uses to disinfect all those greasy combs he runs through the dandruff brill-creamed hair of Toddlers, teens, business leaders, and grandpas all day long. It's no wonder the scent of Aquavella 
smells like a man. Made by a man, just for men, to smell like every man. Giving you that straight-from-the-barbershop fragrance that men love and think that women love too. There's something about an aqua velvet man. As we get ready for this game one matchup between the Yankees and Dodgers at Yankee Stadium night game, Tuesday, October 11th in 1977, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention kind of how similar these two teams are and how they are in terms of organizations, like the parallels always between the Dodgers and Yankees. Oftentimes they've been tied, right? The, um, the Yankees being the pinnacle of success, both in terms of championships, but also in terms of how to run baseball as a business. The Dodgers are probably the next best in that group. And, if it weren't for the Yankees, Dodgers would have a lot more championships under their belt. Um, and ever since the Dodgers have been out in LA, right, they have they have been sort of the West Coast Yankees in many ways. They they sort of built up this powerhouse uh, that we obviously see nowadays. Um, but even back then, right, signing stars, trading for stars, whether it was trading for Frank Robinson back in the day uh, and now bringing in guys like Reggie Smith, Dusty Baker. Um, and and so that's the thing that's going to be very interesting in this series. The other similarity between these two teams at this moment is the managers. Tommy Lasorda and Billy Martin, two short Italians with fiery tempers who – are really, really beloved by their fans, beloved by their by their team, though not everybody. They can be a bit caustic and a bit much for, for some, uh, but by and large are awesome. The other similarity here, of course, is both were members of their organization back in the 50s. Billy Martin played a much bigger role, came up clutch in World Series. I believe actually had a walk-off hit to end a World Series back in the 50s. Lasorda didn't really ever appear in the postseason. He was a sort of lefty pitcher who made a couple of cups of coffee, essentially, in the in the mid-50s with the Brooklyn Dodgers. But both of them sort of, I mean, Lasorda, long time in the organization for the Dodgers, and Billy Martin, who was, you know, he's finally back in New York. And... They're ready to go at it, both of them, and they 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 probably at, at certain points they'd like to take on one another. Uh, but there's probably uh, there would be some tough words or some words I dare not repeat on here. But there's probably some mutual respect between the two of them, and, and how much they cared about the game of baseball and cared about winning, and perhaps winning their way. So what's get into the lineups here. I'm going to talk a moment about Don Sutton, who's going to be pitching tonight for the Dodgers, the future Hall of Famer, just a kind of a model of consistency throughout much of his career. You know, the curly-haired guy uh, later became a broadcaster. We actually, if you've listened to this show, listened to 1979, he's on the NLCS broadcast. Uh, he was a broadcaster for the Nationals, and I believe for the Braves. Uh, a really, really wonderful man uh, who we lost uh, a few years ago. Um, but 
a model of consistency, like was never really ever like a top five pitcher in the game. He had a couple of maybe top five, um, you know, Cy Young finishes was only a four time all-star, but won over 300 games in his career, just consistent, a model of consistency and was the type of guy who actually, when he got into the postseason, he elevated right to this point through five postseason games has yet to lose a game as you'll hear Howard Cosell mentioned, but it's more than just not losing. He's been dominant. 39 innings through five starts, only six runs allowed. It's a 1.38 ERA. 4-0, nearly eight innings a start. Really dominant in his stretches. That was against the Pirates, that was against the A's, and that was against the Phillies. And he's going to put in a pretty good performance tonight as well. So here are Keith Jackson and Howard Cosell introducing us to the Los Angeles Dodgers. So the Yankees now have gone onto the field. Now let's check the batting for the Dodgers with Howard. Okay, here's the Dodger lineup. J.B. Lopes, the speedster, the great base dealer, will be leading off. He plays second base. Bill Russell, the shortstop. And batting third, perhaps the best switch hitter since Mantle and Rose, Reggie Smith. Batting fourth, the slugger, Ron Say, they call him the penguin, walks like a duck. Batting fifth, the steady going one with the great power in the opposite field, Steve Darby, here at 297. Then the hero of the National League Championship Playoff Series, Dusty Baker, had two home runs then, won a grand slam, had 291 on the air. After him, the young defensive whiz in center field, Glenn Burke. After him, the shotgun arm of Steve Yeager, the catcher. And, of course, after him, the feisty, confident pitcher of the Dodgers who's never lost a postseason game, Don Sutton. If you were listening there and knowing that we're playing in an American League ballpark, you know, which at first glance you'd think, well, the Yankees had a better record. Well, that isn't how things work then. They just alternated year by year. Even year, the National League had a home field. Odd years, American League had home field. They did the same thing with East and West uh, in the championship series of alternating year by year. But even though we're playing in an American League ballpark, there's no DH. And that's because back then to sort of even things out or so to speak, if the American League was going to be home, have home field, we were going to play by National League rules and vice versa in, in even years. I kind of prefer how we have it now, which is the rules are the same, whichever, whether you have a DH or you don't have a DH, the rules are the same. Um, but it's just sort of interesting. Back then, they were two different leagues. And a team played National League ball the whole year and then might have to go play with a DH in the World Series. And then the opposite was true, where the Yankees, who have been comfortable having a DH, so maybe that's Cliff Johnson. Maybe it's Reggie Jackson to give him a, a day off for his legs. You know? But instead now... It's not the case. No DH. So, little thing there. Before we get into the Yankees, and obviously starting tonight's going to be Don Gullett, uh, and you'll hear them mention sort of Gullett who got rocked against the Royals, right? Just got lit up. Was been dealing with some shoulder trouble, and it's going to eventually be the shoulder trouble that essentially ends his career in a year or two. Uh, and 
It's a thing that's been recurrent throughout his entire career when we covered the 1975 Reds, Don Gullett was dealing with shoulder trouble all the way back then. Um, but they're, of course, going to mention for Don Gullett that the Yan- he beat the Yankees last year in the World Series when, when he was with the Reds, and so the Yankees went ahead and signed him and brought him in. He had a solid year going 14-4, and four, but a 3.58 ERA, kind of high walk numbers you know it can get away from don gullet uh and it'll be it's actually very fascinating what happens in this game and uh we'll we'll get into it but the one guy i did want to talk about who's really going to be the star of this game is really going to be the key cog that gets things going for the yankees is willie randolph willie randolph was a six-time all-star in his career and if it weren't for frank white and lou whitaker probably would have been like a six-time gold glover. He's actually third all-time behind only Bill Mazeroski and Frank White in what we call like total zone runs, like sort of the advanced metrics for young, for 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 defense among infielders, right? Among second basemen. He's like the third best defensive second baseman of all time. And he's top 10 in like all of the Games played at second base, putouts, assists, double plays turned. Really high up there in fielding percentage. One of the best defenders of all time. A really underrated player, Willie Randolph. And, man, he's going to have quite a game. And, like, what's interesting for Willie Randolph, born in South Carolina in Holly Hill, uh, his parents were sharecroppers. His great-grandmother was a slave until she was 19. I mean, so think about that connection, right? Think about what I was talking about last week, talking about the black Yankees having success and the through, like the through line is not that far removed from slavery here. Um, And I mean, this is a message about America, right? Baseball, America's pastime and with all it has to reckon with, right? And we think about the Dodgers and Yankees with Jackie Robinson becoming a star right, was part of that rivalry between the Dodgers and the Yankees and and all of this. So, like, you have that connection with Willie Randolph, though when, you know, he didn't grow up in the segregation South. His family was thankfully able to move him up uh, to Brooklyn. You know, they moved as a family, moved to Brooklyn in the Brownsville neighborhood, grew up in the 50s and 60s. He was actually a Mets fan growing up, not a Yankees fan. Uh, his favorite player was Ken Boswell. Uh, in fact, when Willie Randolph later played on the Mets late in his career, he wore number 12 in honor of Ken Boswell. Willie Randolph was a great, great player. Initially drafted by the Pirates, was kind of, and you'll, uh, uh, Tom Seaver mentions in the broadcast, he's like, he's one of those Pirates guys. Uh, he was part of, he was traded over to the Yankees along with Ken Brett and uh, Doc Ellis. For Doc Medich, terrible trade for the Pirates. Pirates ended up being fine. They ended up winning a World Series later. Um, but they could have used Willie Randolph. They thought they were fine at second base with uh, Rennie Stennett, and they were not. They were not. Um, but Willie Randolph went in immediately as an all-star with the Yankees, helping lead them to the World Series. I believe was an all-star again in 77. I mean, Like I mentioned before with Willie Randolph, a guy who, for someone who didn't hit 
for power really at all, right? His ability to hit for average and get on base and be a great base runner. He has some great base running in this game, all while being a tremendous second baseman defensively. He's really one of the underrated players of that era. And just a, I mean, to be an above average hitter, when you don't provide much in power, that means you are really, really special. And that's what really Randolph was. First career walked almost twice as much as he struck out. Man, he's really a guy who really should get looked at for Hall of Fame consideration. You know, kind of when you look at these veterans committees and, and all of that. Uh, but he's also the type of guy one where I feel like he kind of got a, a raw end of the deal. Uh, when he was manager of the Mets and later, um, you know, when, when they had that historic collapse and then they got off to a rough start and he got fired. And then actually the guy who replaced him, Jerry Manuel, is also a guy who should have gotten more opportunities to manage. We don't know the full story, but um, I wish that, you know, in these last 10 years or so that Willie Randolph had been more of a public figure still involved with baseball rather than someone who is kind of more behind the scenes. Anyway, I really love Willie Randolph and he's going to have a fantastic game. He's really going to be the reason why uh, the Yankees are going to have a chance to win this one. Uh, he comes up with some really, really timely moments. Anyway, let's meet the rest of the Yankees with Don Gullett on the mound. Setting the Yankees defensively in left field, Lou Vanella, good arm. And better speed than you might think from a guy his size. Vanilla in left, over in center, the man who was electric during the American League Championship Series, Mickey Rivers, an arm that can be tested by these Dodgers. But in right field, it's Reggie Jackson, and he's got plenty of cannon for a throwing arm defensively in right field. At third base, Greg Nettles, as Bill White mentioned, he has a sore shoulder tonight. He may not be able to go all the way. We'll see what happens. Very sore shoulder. The shortstop is Bucky Dent, who came to the Yankees just before the season started this year, has done an admirable job. At second base, one of the fine young players in the American League, Willie Randolph. And over at first base, a man who has been so big in Yankee fortunes the last two seasons, Chris Chambliss, the big first baseman swinging left-handed, good fielder. Thurman Munson, the captain of the Yankees behind the plate, tends to throw the ball sometimes a little sidearm to second, but he gets it there. And Don Gullett, who opened the playoff series for the Yankees, did not get the ball into the strike zone effectively, left with a sore shoulder, but he has fought back with heat treatments, and now suddenly here he is starting the ball game. And a year ago, he was the starting pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds against the New York Yankees. That's how the tides of fortune have changed so briefly and so recently in baseball. To begin this game, Don Gullett is in hot water. Or maybe he needs some hot water to loosen up that shoulder because it appears that he can't find the zone. I mean, he is just wild not even coming close to Davey Lopes, a guy who you do not want on base to begin this game. And, you know, when you have a leadoff walk, right, and a guy who's speedy, you want to make sure that you're delivering it in the zone, especially with the middle of this Dodgers lineup. You do not want to get into trouble. 
The problem is, of course, right? When you're trying to overcorrect, you're trying to come into get throw strikes. Sometimes you leave a pitch way, way, way too juicy for a hitter. And with Bill Russell at the plate and the speedy lopes at first, the Dodgers are going to get off to a really hot start in this World Series. Again, the effectiveness of Russell, 634 at-bats, struck out only 43 times. He made contact to protect the speedster on the base. The outfield, Rivers in center, particularly playing him shallow. Lopes on the right side of your screen, the pitch. Hit into the hole, it's going through. He'll make it the wall. Russell got out of it. Lopes is coming around third, he's going to score. Russell, he's heading for third base. The relay comes in, the Dodgers take the lead, one to nothing. A triple for Bill Russell, and Rivers plays shallow in center field, had no chance in the world to get through it. Take the Dodgers very long to get on the board. Billy Russell hit him with no balls in the strike here, a fastball right up in his eyes. He can't throw him that pitch there. That's going to be in the alley, and that's, that's like the Grand Canyon out there. There's so much room in the alleys in this ballpark. Lopes scored very easily from first base. If you didn't know, it's about 430 feet to left center at the old Yankee Stadium. Um, and man, uh, like when the balls get out there and really jump to the gap, it is a triples alley in many ways. But even if it was 380 to the gap, Davy Lopes is scoring easily given how fast he can run. How the, It's really impressive to watch how quickly and low to the ground he is when he runs. Like in this series, we're looking at Willie Randolph, Mickey Rivers, and Davey Lopes, three guys who are so quick and really efficient with how they run and the routes they take. It's very, very impressive. And, you know, not a great way to start off this game with a run scored in. You know, just just basically it's six pitches in, a run has scored, a runner's on third, and you've got the heart of this lineup with four 30 homer hitters right in a row, right? And then Don Gullett still can't find the zone, ends up walking Reggie Smith, bringing up Ron Say, and the first pitch is right down the middle once again, and Ron Say's all over it. I mean, absolutely crushes it. But since we're playing at Yankee Stadium and not Dodger Stadium, it kind of harmlessly fought, falls down into the glove of Lou Pinella in left center field. And Pinella makes a strong throw, keeping Reggie Smith at first. Run does come in. It's a 2-0 lead. But Don Gullett can take a breath. Right? Okay. Okay. Made a mistake, have given up some some hard contact, but have gotten out, and now I've got a chance to get out of this inning. And then he's helped out even more, because in the 3-1 count, Reggie Smith tries to steal second, but gets hung up, gets caught in a rundown, and is thrown out. And now it's two outs. But then Don Gullett loses Steve Garvey for his third walk of the first inning. I mean, this has just been a disaster of a start for Don Gullett. Probably wondering, like, Dick Tidrow's already warming up in the first inning. This was just not the scenario that Billy Martin wanted. 
But Dusty Baker bails him out, swings at a first pitch, chops one over. Greg Nettles comes over, gets the force out at second. All right. Two runs given up. Terrible inning. But it could have been a whole lot worse for Don Gullett and the Yankees. And most importantly, in the bottom of the first, they're able to get some back. Don Sutton gets two consecutive ground outs to Mickey Rivers and Willie Randolph, but allows a two-out single to Thurman Munson, and then a check swing single up the middle by Reggie Jackson, who now in World Series has two check swing hits off of Don Sutton, had a check swing double off of him in the 1974 series. And that brings up Chris Chambliss, the guy who had a little bit of a rough series against the Royals, in this year's ALCS, but has been part of big moments time and again for the Yankees in the playoffs. And once again, he's going to come through in the clutch. With two out, the pitch to Chris Chambliss. Pulled right field, base hit. It's a two-to-one ball game as Thurman Munson comes in to score. So we've got all the excitement you could ask for and all the excitement we expected. The Yankees and Dodgers at it again in the World Series, just the first inning. And Bill White talked about the need for the Yankee left-handers to hit the pregame show. This is exactly why they didn't hit against Kansas City, but they are hitting so far here. Jackson and Chandler proving the point. The storyline develops. Not great starts for either of the Dons in this game for the Yankees and the Dodgers as they run into some trouble, both allowing runs. It's a 2-1 game. Uh, But Greg Nettles ends up grounding out to prevent any further damage. And that means we have a 2-1 game. After all of that, all of that sort of drama, pitches missing, two-out magic from the Yankees, it's a 2-1 ball game. And probably the most important thing that happened there in the bottom of the first, not just answering back, preventing a shutdown inning, but giving Don Gullett some time to sit down and maybe work over the nerves of whatever he was facing or maybe get someone to work on his shoulder to loosen it up because it's a brand new man who comes out in the top of the second. Like, looks nothing like the guy who couldn't find the zone. I mean... Don Gullett comes out firing, right? Fastball's about 94 to 96 with a lot of late life on it. Glenn Burke can't catch up. Steve Yeager grounds out weekly. And Don Sutton, who was maybe hoping he wouldn't have to hit in this series, gets blown away just like that. Both of these guys, right? If you saw the beginning of this game, you would think, Oh, there ain't no way that these neither of these pitchers pitch very long in this game. And you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. They amazingly, both of these guys are going to pitch very late into this ball game. Don Sutton into the eighth, and Don Gullett into the ninth. Well, you'll see how we get there. But with how this game started, that seemed inconceivable. I mean, like, how could a guy with the, such lack of command like Gullet end up finding it? And well, part of it is back then, right, a lefty throwing 94 to 96, you don't see that very often. 
pretty commonplace nowadays for a starting pitcher to be throwing mid to be throwing mid 90s rather pedestrian in fact back then a rarity especially from the left side and gullet is rearing it it impresses tom siever a guy who could throw pretty hard himself he's like oh yeah it's and it's not just the gun telling it it's like you can tell it he's got life on his fastball so whatever he did to loosen up let me know what it was uh but sutton also responds with a one two three inning in the bottom of the second um gullet the command is not great still in this game but he occasionally loses it there's some walks and hit by pitches but really the middle innings for both gullet and sutton are dominant right there's some long fly balls right bill russell hits another deep fly ball steve garvey takes one deep out to center field but given the amount of space you have in this ballpark you can afford to be aggressive and that's ultimately that was maybe what don Don gullet learned in that first inning right was man in order for them to hit it out of here they're gonna have to really hit it out of here so if i stay if as long as i'm attacking the zone right? As long as I'm not putting guys on base, I'm probably going to avoid damage. And that kind of rings true for most of this game for Gullet and for Don Sutton. Don Sutton also gives up some deep, some, some deep contact, but nothing really happening. We go all the way to the top of the sixth, really, before there's any threat at all. You know, after Ron Say hits one deep to left, that's run down by Lupinella. Steve Garvey lays down one of the best bunts I've ever seen. Like maybe looking of, huh, we're hitting the crap out of the ball, but it's hanging up there. There ain't no way we're going to, we're going to be able to hit it out. So let me just lay down a bunt and Garvey runs really well for a first baseman. Like I tell you, go watch this game. One of the best bunts you'll ever see, just like a perfect down the line. Greg Nettles comes in and just basically shrugs his shoulders. Like, all right, tip your cap. Um, after Dusty Baker flies out, Glenn Burke is up. And with two outs, they try to get things going. And something really, really cool happens, right? It's a hit and run, and it's executed perfectly. But then the Dodgers and Steve Garvey get a little over-aggressive. Or maybe not, given what actually happened on this play. Garvey goes, and the ball is punched to the right side, and it goes into right field for a base hit. And Garvey goes on around second, goes into third. He's coming to the plate. Here's the throw. It is. Out of Close play. And that'll get some conversation out of the Dodgers dugout. I'll guarantee you. Good aggressive play there, Keith. The umpire was out of position, in my estimation. He was up the line instead of waiting at home plate. Now you watch as, he, as Garvey comes in, he gets the, the goal from Preston Gomez. Going in, you'll see the umpire getting back to home plate and still trying to make the call. Look at the umpire, he's up the line. What's he doing up there? Here he comes, he's not even in the picture. Where is he? That's telling it like it is. So, it is still two to one. Seaver's right on the money here. Nestor Shylock who is the home plate umpire is not in position to see this and not in position to see that Garvey beats at home and 
there really isn't a way, given where Munson has to go, the throw is up the line just a little bit, the throw in from Rivers. And Munson dives back, makes a great athletic play. But Steve Garvey's safe. Like, if we reviewed this nowadays, he's safe. No doubt about it. And Shylock is not in position because he was following Munson on the throw rather than keeping his eyes right on home plate. I don't don't know what he's doing. Not the first time in these playoffs in 1977 that the uh, the umpires we don't know what's doing what they're doing. But perhaps it's a little something of what happened in Game Three of the NLCS when Steve Garvey was called safe by Harry Wendelstadt when Steve Garvey never touched home plate. So. Karma? I don't know. I think the karma was already out in that game when Burt Hooten threw about 15 strikes that weren't that right down the middle that weren't called. I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but um, it's a missed call, flat out. And Garvey, who is not one to really get explosive and argue, is lit like by his standards, livid. You know, looking up, saying like, <laughs> "That come on, man. That's that's terrible. That's terrible." And it was. I mean, it's a missed call. That's a run. The Dodgers should be up 3-1 right now with a runner in scoring position with two outs. But they're not because of that missed call. And that missed call is going to come back and haunt them even more, right? That missed opportunity there. Because Willie Randolph is going to do this leading off the bottom of the sixth inning. When Jackie stole home on Yogi Berra in the fifth game of the series, Berra's whole claim was that the umpire was out of position. Umpire never moved. Didn't see him make the tag. The score is tied at 2-2. That's the fine young athlete we were telling you about. Boots on Siva characterized as a typical Pittsburgh Pirate form product. He was obtained a year ago, as we look at this again, in one of Gabe Paul's many trades that re-architectured the Yankees. On Sutton did not want to throw that pitch. You don't get two strikes. Two and two on a hitter, throw the ball up there. And that's the kind of, he's the kind of hitter you want to keep the ball down, make him hit the ball on the ground, make him hit the fly ball to right field. How about that turn of events? What could have been a 3-1 deficit is now a 2-2 ball game. Willie Randolph jumping on that. I'm not sure if it was a fastball or a hanging, uh, hanging slider, but hitting it to the shortest part of the ballpark right down the line. Line drive, just enough height to get out there and tie up this ball game. That's the thing, right? Think about all of those hard hit balls by the Dodgers to the gaps. And yet, it's a line drive, maybe about 325 feet that ties up this ball game and counts more than all the rest of them. Fascinating thing about baseball and, and, and the ballparks, man. Uh, but how about that for Willie Randolph? Really, really making a key, key thing there. 
Now, the Yankees aren't able to add on in that inning. It stays a 2-2 ball game. Don Gullett, once again, works around a walk in the top of the seventh, gets another strikeout, really, really in a groove in this ballgame. Looks like, like I said, a completely different guy than who started this. In the bottom of the seventh, things get interesting once again. Lou Pinella at the plate, really, really good hitter. He's going to hit a ball into the gap. But, there, but there's a guy in right field who's got a cannon of an arm. Punch to right field. It'll drop. Reggie Smith over, picks it up. They go up and down. Going for two. They've got him. Oh! A single and thrown out. Reggie Smith to Bill Russell. You're taking a chance on running, on running to one of the best arms in baseball. Reggie Smith in right field has got a gun. I mean, he has got a gun. That's perfect throw. Good aggressive base running, but I think our hitter, when he leaves that batter's box, has got to know who's throwing from the outfield. He did that the other night in Kansas City, though, and got away with it. He did, but here, while Tom said it was good aggressive base running, Pinella hesitated as he turned first, took another look, and only then decided to go to second. He is not a runner with basic foot speed, so he made a very human mistake of judgment. There he is. A little over-aggressive there from Lou Pinella, who once again moves better than you'd think, but that doesn't mean he's fast. Uh, and a great, great throw from Reggie Smith. And it's really important late in these games, like getting a leadoff hitter out, right? Keeping a guy off base. The Yankees actually do try to stir things up, like Bucky Dent gets a base hit, is moved over on a bunt by Gullet, but Rick Mickey Rivers pops out, uh, ending the threat there. Probably looks a lot different with a couple runners on versus just one runner on. Don Gullet keeps on rolling in the top of the eighth, one, two, three inning through the heart of the order, setting down Reggie Smith, Ron Say, and Steve Garvey. And to lead off the bomb of the eighth, Willie Randolph, once again in the, in the thick of things, has a great, great at-bat. Falls down 0-2 to Don Sutton. Now, the next two pitches, he has check swings that are very, very questionable. A high fastball at the top of the zone. I think he checks it. But Willie Randolph, pretty sure he swings on a breaking ball down and away. But they don't even appeal down to first base. Uh, and Randolph fights off another pitch, gets it to a 3-2 count, and ends up drawing the walk. Really key, adding on pressure, especially with Munson and Jackson and Shambliss coming up. And Thurman Munson, once again, the guy who, who's the reigning MVP, another year of hitting over 300, 100 runs driven up in from the catcher position, right? Thurman Munson. Bonafide star in the league at this point. He is going to come through in a major way. And with Willie Randolph on base, he's going to set him off to the races. Thurman Munson. Could it be that he will change that particular step? I doubt it. He might put the bunt down. 
You want to play manager here? What are you going to do? I'm the best hit and run men in the American League. That's right. You got a hole over there. Here goes Randolph. The ball is swung on. Hit down in the corner. There's your answer. Here comes Randolph around third. Let's throw to the plate. Offline and cut off by Ron Say, and the Yankees have the lead. 3-2. Holy cow, look at them. They're going crazy. Streamers all over the ballpark. They love it. They, the Yankees own New York City. Scrap iron Munson. Beat him up. He gets hit in the throat, hit in the arms, hit in the legs. He won't go out of the lineup. The MVP in the American League a year ago. Fighting all year long with his owner and with Reggie Jackson. But once on that playing field... Throw out everything as Lasorda comes to the mound and calls for a new pitch. By the way, we're going to take a look at Willie Randolph. Watch closely. You'll note that he almost tripped coming around third as a sudden loss of balance. Watch. Right there. But he didn't. He came on in to spike the plate. And the Yankees have a 3-2 lead on their eighth hit of Don Sutton in the bottom of the eighth inning. I was uh, singing the praises of Willie Randolph's base running, and he, he nearly trips uh, around third base there. But it actually is a credit. Like, when you look at some great middle infielders or, or great guys who are still able to get the job done when unbalanced, right? The uh, the ability to rebalance and recenter yourself with excellent footwork, right? Randolph gets a little, I don't know if he slipped on the bag or something, gets a little off balance, but he's able to right himself and still keep moving towards home plate, doesn't tumble down or anything like that, and is able to score the run easily without a play even at home plate. Really, really good stuff there. That ends up knocking Don Sutton out of the ball game. The lefty Lance Routson comes in, and he actually ends up walking two guys. Walks Reg Reggie Jackson. Chris Shambliss bunts them over, uh, lays down a bunt. But Rotson comes off the mound great. Throws over to say at third to keep it first and second. Uh, but then Greg Nettles ends up walking. Um Elias Sosa comes in, gets a strikeout and a ground out to end the threat there, keep it a one-run ball game, which is important because in the top of the ninth, the Dodgers are going to threaten. Don Gullett's still out there, and he works a long count against Dusty Baker, some close pitches, but Dusty Baker, in a 3-2 count, rips a ball into left field, setting him up at first base. The Dodgers are now going to their bench, Manny Moda, is in the ball game and uh, pinch hitting. He's sort of pinch hitter extraordinaire. The Dodgers have a couple of pinch hitter extraordinaires. We'll get to the other one in just a moment. But with Manny Mota at the plate, Dusty Baker is trying to get really, really aggressive with Mota attempting to bunt here. And it nearly leads to disaster for the Dodgers in this ninth inning. But whether it's some lack of focus from the Yankees or just some really nice swim moves from Dusty Baker. Pretty much nothing actually happens on this play. 
But take a listen. Otis squares the butt, turns instead, and takes the swing. Up. They got Dusty Baker hung up between first and second base. He dives. Oh, gambling to the column safe. Baker gambling went airborne, and Chambliss missed him. And Chambliss knew it. He did not argue. He did not fight. The Yankees flew a big team fight. Watch it here now. Press, now watch Baker leave his feet. And Chambliss missed him, and Baker did not leave the base path. Tumbles in, grabs a hold of the bag, and he's safe. Woo! That's a big out. You have to wonder why Chambliss didn't die then. You thought for a moment it was a, almost a frivolous waste of a potential run at first base as Motor squared to bunt and then took a chop at it and suddenly Dusty was hung out on the end of a lift. The thing is, the Yankees actually execute the rundown, right? And they execute the pickle. They've got Dusty Baker. It's just that Shambliss, either wanting to avoid a collision or, or whatever, just whiffs the tag. He just whiffs it. He just misses it. And he misses Baker. Like, inexplicably. And, and like... On first glance, it looks like, oh, well, the, he tagged him, and maybe it was a missed call, and it's like, nope. On second glance, he missed him, and Shambliss isn't even arguing. He's just like, yeah, I missed him. I missed him. And that really comes back to haunt the Yankees here in the top of the ninth. You know, Gullet actually responds, right? Gets Manny Mota to fly out, right? Gullet's got that high-riding fastball, which is not easy to bunt. And so Moda flies out to right. Notably, it's not Reggie Jackson coming in to catch it. It's Paul Blair, who's in there for defensive reasons. Keep Paul Blair in mind. He will come back up. But Gullet, who there's a conversation about whether or not they want to keep him in the ball game. Martin elects to keep him in for Steve Yeager. But he ends up walking Steve Yeager on four pitches. Not even really close to the zone. And Gullet sort of signals, hey, I'm done. And it's time to go get Sparky Lyle, who, mind you, over the, the, the previous basically three days, the couple of days leading into the World Series, Sparky Lyle threw nine innings in three days in relief. You heard me right. Threw a complete game over the course of three days as a reliever. Now, Lyle's the type of guy who likes to come in and do that type of thing. Right. But you're asking a lot of Sparky Lyle. And unfortunately for Billy Martin, Sparky Lyle is going to have to pitch in this game a lot longer than he expects. Because with pinch hitter extraordinaire Lee Lacey at the plate, the guy who is going to be known from this series for what he does as a pinch hitter, well, he's going to make this a brand new ball game in the ninth inning. All right, here's Sparky Lyle now, who won two of the five games for the Yankees against Kansas City, and he's facing Lee Lacey, a right-handed batter, and Lyle is on target with his first pitch for strike one. 
It's a 3-2 ball game. Yankees leave. Dodgers at bat. Top of the ninth. One out. You have two men aboard. The tying run at second base. Dusty Baker has good speed. Rafael Landestory at first base can fly. Hard shot into the field. Here comes Baker around third base. Vanilla off of the ball. Landestory over on second. But the game is even as Baker comes up and home from second. And he does his job. That's what I meant about this Dodger team. You can't give them anything. They come through in the clutch if you open the door for them. And Lee Lacey did it there. The way Manny Motor and Rick Damalillo did it last Friday. The Dodgers bench and their late game execution has been absolutely phenomenal in these playoffs so far. You heard it mentioned, Manny Moda and Vic Davilio, and now Lee Lacey coming up with the big hit. Man, a kind of a gut punch for the Yankees where you felt like you fought back hard in this game after a rough start. And now you're going to have to work just to keep the lead. And, you know, thankfully Sparky Lyle comes in, attacks the zone, gets Davey Lopes to fly out to, to center, and gets Bill Russell to hit a line drive out to Mickey Rivers in center, keeping this a 3-3 ball game. Now a bunch of defensive replacements on both sides, right? You heard Landestoy coming to the game to pinch run. Uh, for uh, for Steve Yeager. That means Jerry Grody, the old Met, is uh, going to be behind the plate. Rick Monday is going to go into center field uh, for Manny Moda, who pinch hit, of course, for Glenn Burke. And Mike Garman, who has been the Dodgers' probably most consistent reliever uh, and best reliever so far in these playoffs, he comes into the game, uh, and he really gets to work, right? Gets a couple of strikeouts in the bottom of the ninth, uh, in the top of the 10th, one, two, three inning, again, working through Smith, Say, and Garvey, unable to do any damage here for the Dodgers. In both the bottom of the 10th and the bottom of the 11th, some interesting things happen. The Yankees get leadoff hitters on. Thurman Munson walks to lead off the bottom of the 10th. But then with Paul Blair, instead of Reggie Jackson, they try to lay down a bunt. But Jerry Grody's all over it, comes forward, bare hand, throws out Munson at second. And basically, you know, then there's a couple grand ground outs off of that. Mike Garman out of trouble. Same thing happens in the bottom of the 11th, right? Lupinella leads off with a single, and then Bucky Dent is trying to bunt, and Jerry Grody is all over it yet again. Jerry Grody, a really great defensive catcher. So leadoff hitters on, but a lack of execution from the Yankees. Now, rewind just a little bit to the top of the 11th with Dusty Baker, who, of course, got things started in the top of the ninth. But here, Greg Nettles is going to make a great play to ensure no leadoff runners for the Dodgers and no more trouble for them. Here we are, as the Dodgers came back with that run of the ninth inning, all even at three and three, with a one ball, one strike count on Dusty Baker. This is the man who made that run possible. Baker hits it on the ground. Nettles coming in, a long way to come. Bear handles it. Oh, 
Rex Adams was playing him deep down the line at third. Had a long way to come to get him. Ladies and gentlemen, you have seen some superb defensive play here. Nice slam the last inning and right here, the top of the 11th inning. Baker right on top of it. Another barehanded play by Nettles. Again, I say, who has made himself an outstanding third baseman. Just a set. Super play. Just as that's a pitcher's dream. Super play. Nettles has had a tough night at the plate tonight. All season long, when in batting slumps, his defensive play never suffered. Is a professional. Great defense on display here in extra innings. Nettles, one of the underrated third baseman defensively of all time. A really, really great player. Again, encourage you to go look at his career stats and like a guy who would be valued a lot more in today's time than he was back then. But of course, he was still a highly valued member of these Yankees teams. So Sparky Lyle, you know, apart from that, basically the first hitter he faced, Lee Lacey got a base hit. Nothing since then, sets him down in order in the top of the 11th and in the top of the 12th, bringing us to the bottom of the 12th. Garmin was pinch hit for, and so that means it's time for Rick Roden, a guy who was a really good fourth or fifth starter for these Dodgers, was excellent in that game three, sort of bridging the gap, right? Giving them some length, sort of saving the rest of the bullpen so that the Dodgers could come back in that game. But now, on the first pitch, Willie Randolph is right there to greet him, shoots a ball down the right field line to give himself a double. Now, of course, if Reggie Jackson was still in the game, I doubt that they're going to intentionally walk Thurman Munson, but since it's Paul Blair on deck, Tommy Lasorda is like, hey, nope, not going to have Thurman Munson beat us once again. It's going to have to be Paul Blair. And in this at-bat, right, Paul Blair's trying to bunt. But once again, the Yankees can't execute a bunt, right? They just they just can't get it done. I mean, they weren't a team that bunted much, right, because they had a DH. I don't know why just because you're playing National League rules doesn't mean you have to play National League style. So Roden gets it to a 2-2 count. Martin gives Paul Blair the green light to swing away. Hey, don't need to bunt. Just stay out of a double play. Well, Paul Blair, for the Yankees in this game one, he's going to do you one better than that. 2-2, Roach to Blair. Swing. Drills at the left field. Willie Randolph came pumping around third. 
Steve Rick Rudin is the losing pitcher. Sparky Lyle is the winning pitcher. And the final score in this first game of the 1977 World Series, Yankees 4, Dodgers 3, and Paul Blair, who was so important in the Yankees winning the American League pennant, delivers the blow, and he is the man of the moment. As you look down on Yankee Stadium, where the people are still standing, almost in awe as to what they have just seen. Yankees win the opening game by a score of 4-3. What an ending to this great game one. Paul Blair with the walk-off hit. Willie Randolph once again in the thick of it, speeding around the bases, scoring easily. How about that? What a game for Willie Randolph, scoring three of the four runs, including hitting a home run and a, and a double to boot. Thurman Munson with a huge hit. Man, what a game. Sparky Lyle, right? Blown save, but three scoreless innings in extras. Once again, going multiple innings, doing the job. How about Sparky Lyle? He's been special this postseason for the Yankees. And also, like, for the Dodgers, right? Having that comeback. Forcing extras, right? Forcing Sparky Lyle to go. That that can have ripple effects over the rest of this series, right? You would have loved to have stolen this one. Game one on the road. That's what you always want. But you know you can have a shot in game two. Um, and like I do want to credit, like for both of these teams, both of these starters, both of the Dons, Gullet and uh and Sutton, really responded well after rough starts. Like for both of them to pitch as deep in the game as they did is also important, like for saving your bullpen down the line. Of course, this game ends up going extras. Uh, you know, of course, I mentioned this game, right? When we think about, you know, game one walk-offs, right? When you think about Kirk Gibson or Dusty Rhodes uh, back in the day, or this past season, Corey Seager walking it off in uh, in game one of the World Series, right? Usually the team that walks off in the first game ends up winning the series, and usually pretty quickly. This is one of the series that's going to play out a little bit more. It's not going It's going to be a little bit more of a back-and-forth affair as this series goes on. But what a great game one between these two storied franchises. Game two is going to be an interesting pitching matchup because the Dodgers are going to go with Burt Hooten. It's a really good pitcher for has been arguably their best pitcher this year. And catfish Hunter is going to be making another postseason appearance, kind of a surprise appearance for these Dodgers. I mean, sorry for these Yankees. And well, You'll just have to tune in to find out how that goes for these two teams. Anyway, what a great, great matchup between these two teams. Got a really exciting series to cover, uh, and we'll be going with game two coming up. Obviously, Hall of Fame announcements are going to be coming out, I believe, tomorrow. I'm recording this on a Monday, um, and so... 
the results should be revealed on Tuesday. Uh, and I'll have probably some quick comments on that. Uh, very excited to hear the news of who's inducted into this year's class of Hall of Famers. Anyway, coming up will be game two of the 1977 World Series. Until then, catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.